have a Bible with you to Colossians chapter uh, 3. And if someone could tell me the page number of the, the What's It ones, that'd be great. 1184. 1184. Thank you, Matthew. Colossians chapter 3. We're essentially going to read the first 11 verses and uh, I'll chip in with some comment uh, along the way to help it uh, hopefully speak into our, into our lives. Now that I'm getting old, I'll raise this up and make it easier for me. Helps me to see and gives me something to lean on. Everything's just a little bit slower these days. Uh, uh, context, uh, a relatively small church, church at Colossae. Um, so imagine a small church in a big world. Roman Empire, big, small church. Uh, and uh, and the, the tendency, so easy to feel that they're insignificant, they're marginalized, what difference could they possibly make? What could they achieve by themselves? And there were travelers coming, as there so often are, to Colossae, saying, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And, and it was more subtle than leave Jesus behind, more subtle than that. You found something really good in Jesus, but why not add this on as well? Why not have Jesus and a little bit more? Which is why you'll notice in the first two chapters of this book, over and over again, the little word all. God is, Jesus is all you need. He is everything in everything. Uh, So verse 15, for example, of Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, where thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And so it goes on through two chapters. You don't need anything else other than Jesus. Woo! Good, I see I got really excited about that. You don't need anything else. And, and then he launches into chapter 3. If you've got that sussed, that all you need is Jesus, then this is how you are to live. Orthodoxy, chapters 1 and 2. Orthopraxy, chapters 3 and 4. Belief reflected in behaviour. And here he launches in. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Since then, your life is rooted in Jesus who is all and who has himself already defeated death. Then where are you going to look as you live your life? On whom or on what are you going to set your heart? If you've been given Jesus, which is everything, for goodness sake, he almost says, set your hearts then on him, on things above, essentially on godly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Is he repeating himself? Yes, he wants to make sure you get it, just like the preacher does. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are his. You belong to 
him, the God who is in all and who is over all and who is before all and who will end all, you're on his team. You're in his kingdom. You're in his life. Hidden with him. Hidden so that you cannot be snatched back. Hidden so that you cannot be pulled away. Do you know, when my, little, when my kids are little, I've still got one that's quite little, when they're shy, what do they do? Sort of hide behind your legs. If only I can be hidden here, then I'm safe. Hey, I'm hidden in Christ. Woo! Yeah, that's not bad. I thought that was quite good too. I thought that was quite good. So you're hidden. That's what, There, I'm hidden in Christ. There's this whole world that seems so powerful, seems so um, intimidating sometimes, the powers of this earth that can take my life in inverted commas or literally at any given moment, but I'm hidden. My life's safe. I'm behind Christ's legs, so to speak. I'm safe as long as I'm with him. Because when Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ is there at the end, where will you be? You'll be at the end with him. Woo! You get any idea? It's occasionally okay to get excited about God's word. So, if all that be true, if that be what's your gift from heaven, then, and it's almost like for goodness sake, for heaven's sake, verse 5, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, maybe some of you have heard pompous preachers go something like, well, none of you will have sexual immorality and blah, blah, blah. But some of you might be greedy. In your average church, these average sins are averagely present in most people, in my experience. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. But still remember, you're hidden in Christ. Hallelujah. Because of these, the wrath is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. A mix of metaphors. Come on, Paul, you can do better than that. So he starts with the metaphor of putting something to death. Okay, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, rid yourselves. Verse uh, verse 8. This idea of, of killing off. Now, you as good Christian people probably have never watched a film, have you? But a film is like a long thing that goes on for an hour and a half and tells a narrative of some kind or another. Uh, and, uh, and if you go to a film that's... Um, well, it's probably true of lots of films. Uh, the, the one that immediately springs to mind is Fatal Attraction of, of, of 1980s fame, or probably whenever that was. Um, oh, I am showing my age. I'm sounding like a right boring old what's-it-now. Um, uh, but a James Bond film... You know when the evil character is killed off, so everybody thinks but not quite. And then you've all relaxed because the evil person's dead. And then suddenly at the last minute from behind the shower curtain or wherever it might be, uh, 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 they don't literally come back to life, but they manage to, to get themselves back to life and they come back for the almost fatal blow. And the, the evil character has to be killed off, as it were, for a second time. That's the image here. I'm not sure Paul was thinking of the films. But that's the idea of you've got to keep killing off the old self. 
Anyone found that in your life? That you do something that you regret and you say that you're sorry to God, you say perhaps you're sorry to people, you pray really hard and you find you've done it again. Anyone ever done the same sin twice? One or two of you. That's why it's here. Keep killing it off. It takes effort. Tomorrow I will have to kill off the natural nature in me because it will rise again. And on Tuesday I've got to keep killing it off. Why? Because I'm hidden in Christ. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, he's already told us right at the beginning. It's about where you're looking. It's about where you're looking. I don't know how much time you spend looking at perhaps what you do wrong, or perhaps where you'd like to be, or or whatever. What, What consumes your time? When you sit down for your evening horlicks, what is the natural anxiety that fills your mind? Paul says, set your hearts and your minds on Christ. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, may it be your first waking thought to look at him and to know your life is hidden in him. I'm safe in him. He'll be there at the end and I'll be there with him because I died with Christ. Therefore, I'll be raised with him also. And because of that, as I look to Jesus, then I don't want anything of this life that so robs me of his life and I'm going to kill it off today and I'm going to kill it off tomorrow and I'm going to keep killing it off. And then this mix of metaphors, instead of killing it off, the idea of of removing a cloak and putting a new cloak on. I'm going to shake off. I'm going to uh, literally uh, uh, take off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I'm going to put new clothes on that are a gift to me. Royal robes we sang this morning, I don't deserve. I live to serve your majesty. Because God's creating something new. He's creating something new where the things of death must die. He's creating something new where the old practices and the old ways must be stripped off and new practices and new ways must be put on. And then he ends verse 11 with a description of this new thing, this new community. Here there's no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. A newness that transcends culture, that transcends education, that transcends ethnic background, that transcends religious background or disposition, a culture that transcends uh, intelligence, barbarians, they were literally the barbarians because they get bleating on all the time like um, some stupid, uh, uneducated race. A coming together of something new that strips off all the things that used to divide. An anticipation of the final day when we'll be with him and it won't matter whether you're Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, English or Welsh, but all in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we share the table in anticipation of that day. It's a, it's, a, it's a mini feast. Uh, we don't like the language, but it's a mini party. The, the word the Bible uses about the end of time is a feast. This is a whoopee celebration. And this is what we do to anticipate the day when it will come in all its fullness. Until that day, I keep my eyes fixed on Christ and I rid myself daily of all that no longer belongs to the life God's called me to. Let's sing as we gather.